Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. This is Lily Gorin with the New Books Network, the New Books in Political Science podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mark White to talk to us about Batman and Ethics, which was recently published in 2019 by Wiley Blackwell Publishers. This is a really interesting book for anybody who has any interest at all in Batman in any form that he has taken over the years, the comics, the films, the television shows, etc., Um, But I'm going to let Mark tell us a little bit more about his interest in um, Batman and how he came to this project. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very, very glad to be here. It's my pleasure. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to the project Batman and Ethics. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, Well, the, the Batman part goes back to my childhood. When I was a little boy, I I fell in love with Batman watching the 60s TV show in reruns. I'm not that old. Uh, as well as Super Friends. And then got into the comics when I was around seven years old or so. And I've been a Batman fan ever since, taking some time off, I think, for college and grad school. And really, the, when getting into this type of writing happened about 12 years ago when I had the chance to co-edit in uh, Batman and Philosophy also for Wiley, in William Irwin's Blackwell Philosophy and Pop Culture series. And that was a collection of, I think, 20 chapters written by different people, uh, which were collected together and and basically introduced many different topics in philosophy through the examples of Batman. And that started an an annual uh, activity of mine, which was editing one of these books on a superhero and philosophy. So I did Batman and then Watchmen, Iron Man, Green Lantern, Avengers, and Superman. And then I did Doctor Strange just a couple years ago, but or last year. After I did the first six, I decided I wanted to try writing one of these books on my own, again, to sort of introduce basic ideas and philosophy through a superhero, but more focused on one particular area. The edited books would go from ethics to metaphysics to logic to aesthetics, and try to, you know, everything you do in a 101 intro to philosophy course. But I'm an ethicist and a legal philosopher, but mainly an ethicist. So I was focused mainly on exploring the ethical behavior of the superheroes. So in 2014, I published my first authored book in this area, which was The Virtues of Captain America, trying to explain that Captain America, which who, who wasn't understood quite as well before he started appearing in the movies, so people wrote him off as just a jingoistic flag waver, toady of the U.S. government, simplistic ethics, anachronistic ethics. And I wanted to defend him, saying it was much more complex than that. Uh, to the extent his ethics are simple, that's, that's actually a good thing. Bedrock moral principles that then he uses to make moral judgments. And after I finished that book, I pretty much started discussing with the publisher what I could do next, and we both agree that Batman would be a great next topic for me to to build on the edited book and write a sole authored book. 
And so you have produced Batman and ethics following on Captain America. Yes. Yes. And so this book, as you as you note, is not the kind of wide ranging um, of, you know, sort of Dr. Strange and philosophy. This is really a deep dive into our understanding of Batman. And and you talk about this in the introduction, sort of laying out how you're coming to the, the character Batman and not necessarily looking at the character in the comics only or in the films only, but that you're looking at Batman. And can you explain a little bit about this kind of, I guess, composite Batman and why that's particularly useful in our thinking about this character? Well, actually, I do the opposite. I I acknowledge in the book that there are many iterations of Batman through pop culture. Obviously, starting with the comic books, but then movies, TV shows, animation, video games. But with the point I'm trying to make about Batman, I wanted to pick one consistent version of him over a long period of time that I could take to truly be one character and analyze his behavior throughout all his appearances. So I actually focused on approximately a 40-year period in the comics from the early 1970s to 2011 when DC rebooted its universe. And I think that's the longest consistent characterization of Batman. In other words, it's it's one version of Batman over 40 years, at least two comics a month for each of those years. And so I had a large corpus of work to, to draw upon and say, this is a, this is a fairly consistent portrayal of Batman and then go on to make my ethical argument was that he's not ethically consistent. Whereas if I, if I worked in every version of Batman, say from one extreme, you have Adam West's can't, can't be Batman. And on the other extreme, say you have Frank Miller's Batman, who's, who's hyper violent. And if I tried to merge all those versions and then make some argument about consistency, that'd be a non-starter. So the comic book Batman, that's the focus of the book itself, is also the essentially the source material in lots of uh, sort of original ways. Is that correct? I, th- I think so. I think so. I, I try to make very clear in the introduction that I'm not arguing in any sense that, that this is the only version or the best version or the, the valid version of Batman. This is, again, just the one I chose because I think it's the longest consistent portrayal of the character, whereas every movie is different, every TV show is different, etc. And there are certainly... I'm sorry. Go ahead. And there are certainly alternate universe versions of Batman, even in the comics, but I I wanted one that was fairly consistent for a long period of time, so so I had lots of material to work from. And the Batman that you look at that you sort of sketch the whole book around is one that you also talk about had this 40 year period of more or less um, an understandable trajectory. Is that correct? What do you mean in terms of trajectory? Well, that the, the sort of the presentation in the comic books was one that one could sort of pick up a comic book and a, a Batman comic book and understand 
um, if you hadn't read like three or four of the comic books in between. Oh, and recognize him as the same character. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So that that the motivations, as you're sort of talking about, and the and the commitments that he has are are sort of understood, even if you haven't read each and every comic or you, you right. dip in and dip out. Right, right. And what you said before about this being the inspiration, I, I think that even though I don't explicitly discuss the, the, the all the other media versions of Batman, the TV, movies, animation, etc., they are all based on roughly this version of Batman. Even the, even the 1960s Adam West version of Batman. You know, that was obviously, he wasn't very violent. He never even thought about killing anybody. You know, it, it, was, a, it was a fun TV show. You know, so a lot of these moral issues I discussed in the book didn't arise there, but it doesn't, it's not going to seem alien to readers of this book either. Right. And I mean, I, I also grew up watching the Adam West uh, Batman. And as you point out, also the, the punches that were thrown are usually also cartoons at the very point where the punch is being thrown right you're the pow um, and bam and yeah exactly yeah. um but back to to the book itself you 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 split up the book in two parts and the first part you talk about um sort of our understanding of batman um the character and and to some degree his mission obviously how it becomes defined given the incident that happens to his parents um, and how he takes this on. Can you take our listeners through how you set up that first part of the book and our understanding of the character of Batman and his mission? Okay. Well, if I, if I can step back a little bit, sure. the, the book is mainly divided into two halves. And, and you talked about the first half, which is identifying Batman's mission or what he's trying to do, what his goal is. And I set that up, uh, you know, nearly half of the book is discussing that to get the different nuances of what he's trying to do, the limitations of it, uh, the problems he encounters, the judgment calls he has to make just within what he's trying to do. And then the second half of the book are specific things that he will or will not do in pursuit of that mission. That that right. also that that also tracks fairly well, since it is a book about ethics, onto two of the main schools of ethics, which are consequentialism, or more commonly, you know, utilitarianism, and deontology. So his mission, when I describe his mission, which is basically to save the people of Gotham city from crime and violence. That's, you know, basically a utilitarian mission. He wants to do the most good he can for the citizens of Gotham city. So the first half of the book is tracing through, you know, what, what kind of utilitarianism is this? Are there limits on it? What sense do these limits make? How does he make judgments about, you know, obviously he can't save everybody who, whom is he going to save first? Or whom is he going to focus on saving? Uh, does he save everybody? What what extent does he go to to save everybody? Why does he limit himself to Gotham City instead of trying to save everybody in the world? So I really look through it, you know, just as if it was in an ethics class in high school or college, and we're talking about how do you actually implement utilitarianism? You, it's very hard to do in an idealistic sense. So. 
even you know any of us that wants to be a utilitarian basically in our ethics has to make decisions how much am i going to do whom am i going to focus on when i do it etc and that's that's even before you decide what you are are not willing to do in pursuit of that mission and then you talk about to some degree the limitations that batman puts on himself right um with regard to pursuing that um and and you also sort of fold into it as part of our understanding or learning about utilitarianism, what potentially Batman is giving up in all of this. Right. Um, Basically which, his own, his own happiness, his right. own life. Right. And, and so he becomes a servant in a way that again, as you know, as coming to this as a political theorist and is very interesting to me to think about, you know, the subsuming of self to the greater good. Um, But the complications that you point out with regard to what Batman does is also what he, how he confines himself to what he's willing and not willing to do. Can you talk a little bit about how you outline that in the book? What specifically again? You you mentioned a lot of things. <laughs> what he's you sort of outline it um, at the end of the the section. What he tries to do, what he doesn't try to do, the hard choices that he makes, and the value he places on the mission. Can you talk a little bit about how those how he determines those things and what they are? Okay, let me. I'll take a shot. Uh, okay. Well, his his mission to to save as many people in Gotham City as he can, of course, stems from the incident with his parents when he was a young boy, and the the torment he endured watching his parents be murdered in front of him, and he basically concludes that he wants to try to prevent anyone else from having to go through the same ordeal, so he's going to do everything he can to try to make sure that no one suffers as he suffered. Of course, he knows he can't do that perfectly but he's going to push himself to do as much as he can. And in you're exactly right. He gives up his life. He gives up his, his own, you know, uh, destiny, his own happiness, any chance of a love life, any chance of, of personal fulfillment outside of this mission to do that. And actually I, I lapse a little bit. I, I get out of the ethical frame for just a, a brief moment in the book. And I, I, lapse into existentialism when I say, and maybe this is what you're hinting at was, did he really choose this for himself or, or was this thrust upon him? In other words, is he really the master of his own destiny? Is he, is he being authentic in the, in the existentialist sense? And the, the, the evidence is really mixed on that. I I try to try to quote from the comics as much as I can in the book. And there are numerous quotes on both sides when he tells somebody, you know, this is my life. I was chosen for it. And then there's other cases where he says, I chose this. I could have done something else, but I wanted to do this. But regardless of of how you answer that, it, it is an extreme sacrifice. And that, that fits into really the, the, that's a that's a term you can use to describe almost every element of Batman's life is extreme. He's he's not a moderate person. Uh, um, he he does take everything to extremes. And really, when I was working on this book, 
and I was struggling a bit with how to approach this, my editor, actually, who was familiar with my Captain America book, contrasted the two and says, you know, you paint Captain America as this moral exemplar. Batman is sort of the opposite. Batman is the person who whose heroism and dedication you want to look up to and emulate, but his extremity, the, the, the absolute lengths he goes to and the sacrifices he makes to do this, you don't want to emulate those. You almost put those up as a cautionary tale. I mean, we're, we're, if, if he were actually in this world, we'd be glad he was there, but you know, very few of us would want to be him if you think about this, the sacrifices he's actually made. And one of the things that always strikes me about Batman, too, is his isolation. And and this, I know, is an issue around superheroes in general. But his isolation is another form of his extremity, I think. Is that yeah. correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's one thing. And also, that's another part of, of kind of you know deciding how I was going to frame all of this in the book, is there are a lot of ethical elements of Batman that I couldn't include as much as I wanted to. The book ended up being a lot longer than planned as it was. But since I chose to focus on what he tries to do and what he will or won't do to pursue that, I had to leave out a lot of things. And one of the things I had to leave out, and this would have been at least a chapter in its own right, is this, the the isolation and the social his relationships basically yeah. both with you know there's there's there are a lot of relate he he paints himself as a loner often in the comics and sometimes the other characters call him on this because he's obviously got a lot of other related superheroes that work with him the Robins Nightwing Bat you know various Batgirls Huntress you know a lot of associated heroes he works you know with, in quotation marks, the police department, obviously Commissioner Gordon. Uh, Alfred is, is like a surrogate father to him. Leslie Tompkins is a surrogate mother. Uh, then th- besides that, you've got all the other heroes he, he teams up with, the Justice League, the Outsiders, etc., all of which he has particular relationships with, but, but in general, he keeps himself at arm's length from them, except sometimes with his closest confederates. So I, I, I had tons of notes on the various relationships he has with different people in his orbit. And I could, you know, I touched on that from time to time throughout the book, but I, I didn't have space or, or, you know, a, a, an appropriate place in the frame to do an entire chapter on that. And you also talk about, as you say, following this sort of line of discussion, the cost to others for Batman's mission. Right. And right. I thought that was really an important understanding. As you say, there's a cost to Batman to Bruce Wayne for his choice um, or the choice that was thrust upon him. But, but if we talk about it in context of, you know, our understanding of ethical dilemmas and sort of constraints on individuals, the what are the costs to others for Batman's mission? Well, the main one is uh, the the harm and occasionally death that come to his the young boys he trains to be his sidekicks, Robin. That that's definitely the the most visceral example. I mean, you know, any superhero in the conduct of his or her mission is going to cause collateral damage. Uh, hopefully not lives, hopefully just property damage, but that's still, you know, 
still, if you destroy someone's house, that's their home. You know, so obviously property damage shouldn't be minimized. But, you know, Batman, this, this is one of the central hypocrisies in the, in the Batman concept is his stated goal is to save lives, especially innocent lives. And he even tries to save guilty lives. He saves criminals' lives, you know, all the time, including the Joker. But he keeps putting young boys in harm's way, in, in often lethal harm, um, to, to guide with his mission. And this is an entire section in one of the chapters, is how, you know, how does he rationalize this? And he, go, he has several rationalizations. He, he you know, often says it, it, it serves the mission. But then at the same time, he says they get in the way, they distract him. Which, which makes you wonder why he does it at all, why he keeps putting... I mean, if, if they were adults, that'd be another thing. And obviously, you know, they can, you can say... He, he could say that the, these young boys consent to this, but of course, what boy isn't going to want to, or a girl for that matter, isn't going to want to dress up as Robin and pal around with Batman. And, you know, they're not, they're not competent to realize the dangers they're putting themselves in. They've got the optimism of youth. So... You know, it's it's really Batman's responsibility to since he's put himself in this position to take responsibility for them. But he keep you know time and time again he puts one in danger. Something happens. He says, "I'll never do it again." Months later, he does it again. He says, "Wow, this feels good. I forgot how nice it is to have a sidekick," and he just completely forgets that again. This is an underage boy in one one in one example, a girl that that he keeps putting in danger with really no justification and in contradiction of the, the basic mission itself. And the basic mission is fighting crime and saving lives. Right. Um, and as you note in the book, those two things can sometimes go together, theoretically, um, ethically, but that they don't always um, and can you talk a little bit about how the, that complication informs our understanding also of how Batman operates? So you're leading into the actions now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's very smooth. I like that. I try. <laughs> um, well, Again, Batman, you know, his let's focus on the the saving lives because that's really the reason he fights crime. He doesn't fight crime just because he doesn't like crime. He fights crime because it harms people. It 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 hurts people if not kills people. So there's there's a you know, like like you said, most of the things he does serve both of those and they 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 both goes goals go hand in hand. The the problem is really that he saves lives to such an extent that sometimes saving one life puts more in danger. And this is especially true in the, the fact that he saves lives of him, even his most homicidal foes. So, you know, this all goes back to the Joker. There aren't, there aren't many of there. I, I, in the book, I identify three foes that are mass murderers on the scale of the Joker. That'd be the Joker, Ra's al Ghul, who's an ecological terrorist, and uh, Mr. Zaz, who's a psychopathic killer. But, you know, he kills usually one at a time. The Joker kills thousands of people at a time sometimes. 
so I focus mainly on the Joker. And, you know, my, my, the first chapter in my edited book, Batman of Philosophy, was titled, Why Doesn't Batman Kill the Joker? And that, of course, is a big topic in, in you know, discussed at various times in this book as well, because that's uh, alongside the Robin issue. This is the most important, I think, ethical contradiction in Batman's behavior. And the basic issue is he refuses to kill the Joker. He even even goes to extreme lengths to save the Joker's life when the, the, the Joker endangers his own life. But at the same time, he he knows that the Joker is just going to go on to kill more people. So, yes, Batman's saving a life or Batman's refusing to take a life. But by saving or not taking that life he knows that he's endangering many more down the road. And that's, that's a, a major contradiction that I don't necessarily want to be resolved. You know, I, I get, I get asked various times, do you think Batman should kill the Joker? And I'm, I, I hedge and I hem and I haw. And I say, that's a really hard question. Yeah, you know, no, I don't want the Batman to kill a Joker. Batman doesn't do that. A hero doesn't do that. Unless you're Zack Snyder. But, you know, just you you don't want him to do that, but I want him to be mentally tortured by the thought that he should. And and that does happen in the comics. And those are the comics I love the most. And it just so happened when I wrote the original chapter in Batman and Philosophy, that had been discussed in two different comic storylines at that time. Um, You know, one of them, the most famous one, being in the mouth of Jason Todd, who was Batman's second Robin, who was killed viciously by the Joker, got better, came back to life. Let's not discuss how. But he then became kind of a twisted sort of a vigilante on his own, and he confronted Batman. And he said, you know, Batman, I know you don't want to kill this guy, but if, if, if anything was going to make you end him, I thought his killing me would do that, but you won't even do it then. And really, and, and they went through all of the arguments. Uh, Batman was also talking at the, at the same time in a different storyline with one of his villains, Hush, who was a very personal, knew him as a child, etc. And and you know the same thing is kind of a mirror image of Batman. And he said, you know, how can you let this man, this Joker, live? when you know he's just going to kill more of the innocent people who you've sworn to save. How can you keep doing this? And Hush, you know, basically points the finger and says, it's all to preserve your moral virtue. It's all about you, but it's not all about you. But that's really the only explanation you can come to is, you know, why does he refuse to do this one thing that would further his mission possibly more than any other single act. And he won't do it because he doesn't want to be that kind of person. Well, what kind of person does that make him? That's the problem. If he's putting his own moral virtue above the mission that he supposedly is sworn to pursue. And what do we make, what do we make of that in our understanding of Batman's ethics? Well, what I make of it, and really the theme of the entire book, is that Batman is a hero. I, 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 I try to be very careful in the book. I'm not trying to, to be overly critical or dismiss him as a, as a hero and a good person who's dedicated his life, you know, perhaps too much 
to saving people and furthering justice. But he, he tries to do so much in so many different ways that they conflict with each other. And he ends up being morally inconsistent. Any one of the things he does is good or right in some way. But he, like I said, he's trying to do so much in so many different ways that they necessarily conflict with each other. He's trying not to kill. He's trying to save every life. But in doing that, he ends up endangering more. And that's a complication. That's a complication in our understanding of this character. Also, not only the actions, but the commitment to the mission. Um, and, and Batman as a consistent or inconsistent individual. So you also talk about Batman and his willingness potentially to do violence, as you say, and to torture, um, which is separate from killing, obviously. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that fits into his moral virtue? Well, I'm glad you put it that way because, if, if the reason he doesn't want to kill the Joker and all the other homicidal villains is because he wants to preserve some sense of moral virtue of not being, not crossing the line. He usually puts it in terms of, I don't want to become like those people I fight. They're killers. I don't want to be a killer. So I'm not going to take this last step. Fine. That, that makes sense. I'm not saying it justifies anything, but it makes sense. It's a, it's a good thing to do. That's the little element of virtue ethics that I managed to fit into the book, where the <laughs> Captain America was all built around virtue ethics. But in Batman, again, the, the, the conflict I draw in terms of ethics is utilitarianism versus deontology. But you, you put a little virtue ethics in there, and it actually, I mean, I think it enlightens that aspect of Batman, though it definitely isn't a good use of virtue ethics because it's basically excusing this failure to pursue his mission. Also, if, if he's going to try to look at himself as a virtuous person in terms of not killing fine, but exhibit B he's an extremely violent man, not always towards even people that have necessarily committed a crime or been suspected of a crime. I mean, he'll go down to the bar and beat up a few of the few of the the uh, people in the bar to try to get information. He doesn't know if they've done anything wrong or not. They're probably not sterling members of the community, but if they're not even suspected of a crime, and he's going down and beating the crap out of them to try to get inf- information on the Joker or the Riddler or the Penguin, you know that that's that's ethically questionable, and you know even more so to the extent that it rises to the level of torture. Now, torture isn't discussed much in in the Batman comics. It's not discussed much in superhero comics overall. But I, I draw the analog to that that many people do to the, the TV show 24 and the way that it's sort of glamorized torture, you know, for the for the greater good. And I claim that many of the activities that Batman engages in, many of the much of the extreme violence rises to the level of torture when he's actually making these people fear for their lives. You know, the most typical example, and it seems, it, you know, I mean, it took me a while to even realize that this is what it was. And he does this repeatedly. He, he chases a guy up to the roof. He dangles the guy by his feet over the edge and says, talk or I drop you. And, and you know, sometimes the, the guy will call Batman's bluff. And say, well, I, you know, we know you're Batman. You don't kill people. You can't scare me. 
But he says, I haven't killed anyone yet. Maybe my hands are slippery. I don't know. Maybe it's a bad day. And he tries, you know, he realizes that this reputation he's got for killing makes it hard to to bluff. So he has to convince them that maybe it's not a bluff. But, you know, it, it's sort of like waterboarding. Even if you know how waterboarding works and you know you're not going to drown, it's still torturous. It's It still gives you the impression, as much as rationally you know you're not drowning, you know, viscerally, viscerally, you can't deny that it seems you're like you're going to. So all these things he does, you know, he, in one story, he holds someone's head over a, a gas burner and threatens to light it if he doesn't talk. You know, all these things he does to put people in, in the context of impending death are, you know, I, I think clearly psychological torture and sometimes physical torture and the more, more physically violent ones. And uh, again, without getting, I mean, I, I do talk about the definition of torture and the effects of torture and the, 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 the viability of torture is getting accurate information. But really, I, I try to talk about it more in the context of, uh, as in the whole book, Batman's Ethical Code. And, you know, he tries so very hard not to cross uh, a line with killing by, by not killing his foes, by saving his foes whenever he can. But yet he seems to recognize no limits on the use of violence or torture, which hardly seem, you know, it's not exactly the same thing as killing, but, you know, there's one line he absolutely will not cross and another line that is, at least is in the same neighborhood that he doesn't even acknowledge. And this is one of the the complicated issues around Batman. Right. As, as, our, as our understanding of where, where we see his ethics and our understanding, as you say, of utilitarianism and deontology coming into play in terms of the mission and then the execution of his his actions um, with regard to the mission. The final right. section in part two is about law, justice, and the police. Um, can you talk a little bit about how his relationship, I mean, this is what I often talk about with my students, mm -hmm. is the complication of Batman being this kind of vigilante um, and where that puts him in society or outside of society, which also goes to his isolation. Um, but I don't want to sort of put words in your mouth in terms of your analysis of Batman's relationship to as we say, law, the laws of the society, the concept of justice, and of course, his relationship in working with the police. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. What I what I try to focus on in the book is actually this is the probably the one part of the book where I'm not just focusing on Batman, but I'm also sort of reflecting on the police because I think Batman's involvement with the police, while it's advantageous to him. If he can rely on the police's assistance, if he can rely on them collecting evidence, if he can borrow that evidence at times, uh, often corrupting it, of course, um, it, it's actually more of a problem for the police when they when they you know acknowledge that they have this this vigilante, this unregistered weapon working for them, which compromises their authority. There, there's a lot of great stuff that I quote in the book. Uh, especially with Commissioner Gordon, who, of course, is, is one of Batman's best friends, personally speaking, 
but also works with him and occasionally works against him, uh, though the other police commissioners definitely work against him more. But he is very conflicted in the sense that, um, you know, this is a blow to his reputation. At one point, he tries to get a job in another city, but no one will hire him because they don't think he can do the job without a Batman on his side. And some of the other police officers mock him because they think, you know, he needs Batman. He can't pull it on his own. Uh, there was a great series in the mid-2000s called Gotham Central, which was really a comic focusing on the police department and what it's like for detectives and, and beat cops and the commissioner to work in a city that's dominated not only by a masked vigilante, but by all the costume freaks that he fights. You know, some of whom have superpowers of, the, uh, of their own, which, of course, Batman doesn't. But, you know, how does this complicate their lives? I thought of it as, you know, like a, a Law & Order or NYPD Blue, but set in the, the world of Gotham City. And it was a fascinating series because it really showed what these men and women in the police department in Gotham have to deal with, both with Batman as well as his foes. And really the problems this poses to them in terms of their own self-image as, as police. You know, there's, there's great scenes where they catch one of these supervillains and they try to give him a talk, but the supervillain isn't afraid of them. He's only afraid of Batman. So they debate, oftentimes for an entire issue, whether we should bring Batman in or not, or whether we have to show ourselves we can do this. So I actually think the issue between Batman and the police is, you know, in terms of ethics, is more of an issue for the police themselves. Like I said, it's pretty advantageous to Batman when it works out. The problem is, sometimes the police get so upset about the way Batman sidesteps procedure and gets away with things that the police turn against him. And this happens especially during those periods where Commissioner Gordon is not commissioner. And it reaches really its zenith during an event called War Games where Batman essentially co-opts the entire police department and then basically leads them into an ambush. So this, this you, you would think irrevocably, nothing's irrevocable in comics, but you know, for, a, for a while... He was really on the outs from the police, which leads back to what you were saying about his isolation. And at, at the end of this storyline, Alfred asks Batman, says, what are we going to do now that the police aren't talking to us? And Batman's like, we did it before. This is how we started out. When he really was more of a vigilante before developing these bonds with Commissioner Gordon and the police. And and this, I mean, this is what always fascinates me about Batman in particular but some of these other superheroes as well is, you know, what is their role in a society that has institutions like the police, like, you know, a mayor, like a commission, a city commission. And then you have this vigilante who's like doing all this stuff out there on his own. What does it do to the institutions? Right. Um, and it's it it really is it's a complicating nature of our understanding of superheroes and their role in society. Right. That's why um, it, it really it really becomes an issue. You know, I, I go through several quotations in the book of Commissioner Gordon sometimes you know publicly embracing Batman's role as sort of a deputized you know civilian, and other times having to disavow even knowing who Batman is. You know, the, the comics over, over these 40 years I focus on go through different phases, obviously. 
And, you know, it, but it's, 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 it's interesting because I, I think the, the periods where he is more openly acknowledging Batman's assistance are the more problematic ones. That's why I, I, I prefer the ones where the police don't even want to acknowledge his existence because if they did, that would almost be, they'd be complicit in what he did in terms of lawbreaking. Right. And then it becomes very complicated in terms of our understanding, as I said, of the role of the institutions in society. Right. right. Um, and, and so this question of Batman and justice, <laughs> um, which as you say, you know, sort of questions of torture, psychological torture in particular, his understanding of himself outside of, of the sort of institutions that are supposed to protect justice or establish justice. How do we understand Batman's commitment to the mission with the goal with regard to justice? Well, he pretty much relies on the, the, you know, well-known distinction between law and justice. You know, he tells commissioner Gordon many times you follow the law. I follow, I pursue justice. So in other words, your hands are tied by the law, and that's important on an institutional basis. But the reason I don't do that is because I can pursue justice better if my hands aren't tied by the law. And that leads into, of course, a huge philosophical discussion about what the distinctions are between law and justice. But I think that's how he frames his mission, though. In other words, he doesn't refuse to kill people like the Joker because it's illegal. He's not really worried about it being illegal. He, he doesn't want to do it, not not even for ter- for reasons of justice, like I said before, for reasons of his own moral virtue. But when he does make distinctions about what he will or will not do, they're more often guided by, you know, morality or, or thoughts of justice rather than positive law. And so my, my final question for you, having now written a book about Batman and ethics... And also one about um, Captain America. Um, what is what are you working on now? What's your next project? Uh, well, I have an ongoing project, uh, which is a blog supplementing or complementing the Captain America book, also called "The Virtues of Captain America" with a dot com at the end, where. You know, just like the Batman book with the Captain America book, I consolidated decades and decades of comics and drew general themes out of them. But with Captain America, what I really wanted to do, and I may do this with Batman again at some, also at some stage, is I wanted to go through the comics one by one from the first and just just go through each comic. And I have fun with it, and I, I joke around about some of the goofier stuff in the comics. But I want to show, you know, I, I claim that almost every comic Captain America was in, because Captain America is just an inherently ethical character. His ethics are part of the definition of the character. So I, I claim that almost every comic that he appears in, there's some reference to his ethical character. And that, that's, that's borne out fairly well. In the, the, I'm almost up to 100 posts. I've been doing this for about a year. And uh, so that's, that's an ongoing project I do. And um, I also do stuff not related to superheroes. I actually consider this kind of a, a side hustle. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm working on a book about antitrust law with no superheroes oh, okay. whatsoever in it. Uh, I've got, uh, I edited the Oxford Handbook of Ethics and Economics, which is coming out this summer, obviously from Oxford University Press. 
Uh, in terms oh. of superheroes, I've I've got a next book in mind. I'm 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 being coy about who it's about. It is a Marvel <laughs> property. Okay. I don't want to say character. It's not exactly a character. It might be okay. four. Okay. So. Okay. Not three, not five, but four. Okay. So that's all. All I'm right. All right. So possibly when you finish that book, will you come back on the New Books and Political Science podcast and talk about it with me? Oh, definitely. I, I love to come back and talk about the antitrust book. Okay. I'll take the antitrust book too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it sounds like a plan. Um, Mark White, thank you for speaking with me today about Batman and Ethics, okay. which is published in 2019, right? Yes. Um, by Wiley Blackwell. Um, and I assume this is available at Wiley Blackwell's website. Is there a particular brick and mortar store that's featuring it at the moment? It was being promoted by not, it's not a brick and mortar store, but Wordery, W-O-R-D-E-R-Y.com was promoting it. And of course cool. it's available anywhere, anywhere fine books are sold. All right. Oh, oh I hope. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today, Mark White, to talk about Batman and ethics. Thank you very much for having me.